Let's open in prayer. Loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our collective hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this month, our, our series, our worship series has been Summer Psalms, and you've heard from, uh, from Maggie about the Sabbath. You heard uh, from several people about how they find God during their travels. You heard last week an, a fabulous uh, message from Eliana about identity and belonging. Today, when, uh, when I was asked, what, what, what would you like to talk on, I thought about these favorite summer activities, vacation, family gathering, swimming, sleeping in the hammock, and reading in the hammock. And I thought, what do all those things have in common? You got it, food. Food, summer food, grilled corn on the cob, grilled veggies, watermelon, cantaloupe, honeydew, peaches, berries, tomatoes, cucumbers, all those fresh and cold and juicy fruits. This time of year, we can literally taste the goodness, can't we? We can taste it. The fruit of the vine, the fruit of the tree, potatoes and beans that come from the earth these light pasta salads that are mixed with the light dressing. And when I went to the Psalms to find a reading for today, one of them popped out at me. I'm reading from the Common English Bible, but you're welcome to turn in the Bible at your pew and turn to Psalm 104, starting with verse 10. Let me read it now to you, these words from the psalmist. You put gushing springs into dry riverbeds. They flow between the mountains, providing water for every wild animal. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Overhead, the birds in the sky make their home, chirping loudly in the trees. From your lofty house, you water the mountains. The earth is filled full by the fruit of what you've done. You make green grass grow for cattle. You make plants for human farming in order to get food from the ground and wine which cheers people's hearts and bread which sustains the human heart. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Last summer, I shared and, and facilitated an online class by Margaret Feinberg. It was called Taste and See. Discovering God Among the Butchers, the Bakers, and the Fresh Food Makers. It was an interesting time for that because we were in the middle of a pandemic. It was our, one of our first online courses, and it emphasized kind of an uprising that was coming, uh, uh, that had been coming over a number of years. It, it emphasized this new, uh, renewed energy around food, food halls, farm-to-table inns, even craft breweries. We've got a new area down at Beltline and, and 75 called the Lockwood area, and it's turned into a bit of uh, a foodie area for individuals. Now, when we talk about um, uh, food, art, artisan craft food, we're talking about this handmade with natural ingredients and appreciating the, the true uh, unpreserved, un, un, unaltered nature of, of these uh, of the, the things that are grown, and it's locally grown. That's what craft food is. 
And usually the crafters have this unique care for the community that they're serving to. Whether they're serving around a table or serving in a restaurant, they have this care and they're trying to develop something, maybe signature dishes that they're known for. And we don't just find it in eating out, and especially not last year or now. Over the last year, you've probably done a lot more cooking at home. That's my guess. We find it uh, online, on the, on the television. Over Thanksgiving last year, our daughter introduced us to the Great British Bake Off. Ready? Bake! It's wonderful. It's wonderful to see these people creating and crafting a food and, and doing it with with this passion of what they love. There's even a food network, right? We've had that for a while. And family dishes. We've reinvested in family dishes. I still haven't quite gotten Grandma Babe's tomato noodles down. There's some kind of element that I'm missing because you just don't have it right. But what did we learn? How did we find God? And how do we find God in the bakers and the food makers and in the food itself? You heard Pastor Scott talk in the children's time, for those who are here and, and for those who are online watching, that we have a table here in worship and we often hear about bread and wine and how it sustains us and nourishes us. We hear that repetitively in that sacrament. It's one way that we nourish ourselves and we're reminding, reminded of God's grace for every person on earth. But what about other foods? Where do we find those? And how do we hear and feel and see and experience God in, in those foods? It might surprise you to know that the word fruit, fruitful, some variation of fruit, 200 times in the Bible. And when you think, you think of that word fruitful, you just start thinking blossoming and, and uh, abundant and juicy and uh, just all kinds of things, 200 times in the Bible. So I went back and, and reread some of the lessons from this class that we had last week, reread some of the things, some of the stories in the Bible, and I want to share three of them with you today. The first one is figs. Figs are a type of fruit uh, that, that you can eat. They're, they're harder on the outside. They, some of them have like a little uh, bit of hair on the outside, a little bit, kind of like a peach. But on the inside, it's moist and juicy, and when you bite into it, it's got this the sweetness to it. If you go to, we are right now at the beginning of fig season. If you go to some of your, uh, some of your grocery stores, they're going to have these little bitty green figs, little green ones. And over time, you're going to have these larger figs that, that are like purple and brown and moist and juicy. Fig trees have two harvests, two different times that they, that they sprout the fruits during the year. And so it's no wonder that fruit, the fig trees um, symbolize abundance. If you see a fig tree, it's almost like a, like a big weeping willow where the, where the branches come out to the side and they continue to grow and they're lush and the leaves just cover everything. And eventually when it's full grown, you really can't even see what's underneath it. You might pass by and ask, is that a fig tree? Or what kind of tree is that? Because you don't really see what's underneath it. And what's harvested is especially special. With these leaves uh, full and everything else, you have to look underneath and pay attention because the ripest figs 
are closest to the trunk. So when they start to harvest, you're not going to see like the peaches and the oranges where you can see them from afar. You have to get really up close and underneath the branches to start picking the figs from underneath there. And then the harvest comes out from the tree and continues out through that branch. It's called the breva crop, B-R-E-V-A, or breva, B-R-E-B-A. I call it breva crop. And it's that first harvest, the first time that that tree produces fruit. And sometimes it takes a long time for that tree to produce fruit. There's a parable, a story in the Bible in Luke 13 about a gardener and an owner. And the owner is tired of waiting. He's got this beautiful fig tree and it's been three years and it hasn't produced anything. Yet the gardener has been, been taking care of it and, and providing the nourishment around it in the, in the tree trunks. It's definitely got something going on, but the owner says, it's not worth it. Let's cut it down. And the gardener comes back and says, give me one more year. And maybe, maybe that's because the gardener knows best. Maybe it's because the gardener knows that sometimes it takes four years for a fig tree to start producing that luscious fruit. What's frustrating to me about this parable is that that's where it ends. Let's give it another year. That's, that's really not a great conclusion until I realized that the next time in Luke that a fig tree and figs are mentioned is in Luke 19. And this is a story where the, uh, the small tax collector is hearing that Jesus is coming to the area of Jericho. And a small tax collector comes and gets up into a sycamore tree, a sycamore fig tree. And what happens? Jesus looks up underneath the leaves and finds Zacchaeus, that despised tax collector. And he looks up and tells Zacchaeus, come on down, come on down. Jesus plucks this man out of the tree and says that of all the people around, you, Zacchaeus, are part of the Breva crop. Jesus will be dining with you today. And what happens? Zacchaeus is so grateful that he responds by giving away half of his wealth. And he responds by saying, I will make good any of those who I defrauded. Do you hear it? That fig tree was presumed dead and unproductive, a waste in chapter 13. And yet in chapter 19, Jesus finds value that was always there in Zacchaeus. What others might consider a waste, Jesus saw fruit, this special fruit. So the lesson of the fig tree for you, for everyone who might be in that tree, each of us is part of the Breva crop, that very, very special crop that has everything special and loving about us. Don't miss seeing that in each other. Don't miss that each one of us is the Breva crop. Don't cut off those relationships like they're unproductive or not worth it. Nurture it. Wait for that fourth year because something better is coming. Let's not walk away from someone in need because in our opinion, they haven't done all the right things. God looked under the leaves of this bushy tree and said, you are the Breva crop, Zacchaeus, and he does the same for you. What a gift this fig tree is. 
abundant grace. So another lesson that we learned and that I'll share with you is about salt. Salt is that seasoning, right, that makes things better. We're told don't put salt on there. We're going to ignore that for a minute and, and say salt is good. Salt is good. It enhances the flavor and, and helps to preserve the food. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth. You are this flavoring. And here's what's important to know about the salt that Jesus compares the individuals in the crowd to. Those individuals that are listening, just like us, it's not necessarily that they are the epitome and the priests and the ones who are allowed into the temple all the way. These are fishers and agrarians and carpenters and women who are, who are uh, raising families at the time. They're just like you and me. Salt in those times was very precious, so precious and worthy that it was used as a form of payment for Roman soldiers. It's where we get partially the, the root of that word salt is also in salary the value, the payment that, that it has for that. It's so precious. So when Jesus says that you are the salt of the earth, that word, that salt, has, brings on this connotation. So when Jesus says you, yes, even you, even me, you are the salt of the earth. You are valuable and worthy. And he's saying it to the fishermen and the women and the carpenters all around. Some of you might remember uh, that back in the early 2000s, we had barbecue fundraisers for the youth. And they were headed by uh, my husband, Steve, and Doug Hyde. Now, Steve uh, is a barbecue connoisseur and master. I love you, Steve. Um, he's a barbecue uh, connoisseur. He loves barbecue. He helped someone with research and development and creating a new smoker. Um, and we used to, to have uh, barbecue fundraisers at our house with 50 to 100 people every, every week for a whole week. I loved it because, um, stereotype here, the dads loved it. The dads uh, would come and stay all night with Steve and talk barbecue and, and put, the, put the wood on the smokers. We just loved it. But one of the things that was very important and always will be to Steve is the barbecue rub. And that's because it includes in it this salt and these special ingredients, and the kids knew how special it was too. In fact, I remember a story that one of the, one of the youth went home, and the parents shared, me, shared with me the story. Steve was just very particular about how to do things and what was done. So that first year, uh, the youth did this, and the, the parents did this, and Steve did that, and, and then uh, as they learned more, they could do more. And the excitement on one of these youth, uh, this youth voice, Mr. Sweeney, let me put the rub on the meat this time. They know how precious that is. So this barbecue rub, the salt and the other spices, it interacts with the meats and brings out the flavor. And just like that barbecue rub is something special, so is this salt that Jesus is talking about. We're not talking about that iodine-infused 
Morton girl with the, with the umbrella on. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a rockier salt. And what comes from that rockier salt is not just the salt itself, but all of the minerals, all of the goodness from the ground is contained in that little salt. It's the same for you, my friends, that salt of the earth is how we flavor the lives of others. How do we do that? Well, if salt has to interact with the meat in order to have this flavoring and preserve and move on, you know, it doesn't sit on the table as, as barbecue rub and the meat over here and say, go. They have to come together, right? They have to come together and you have to put one on the other and nourish it. It's the same with us. They have to interact. So let me tell you, when Steve's barbecue rub goes on, a, goes on a brisket and time is invested, there is some lovely beauty that comes out of that brisket. If, you, if you've had it, would you say amen? Thank you. Flavorful brisket is created. It's the same with us, you know, the lesson of the salt. A special barbecue rub enhances the flavor of the meat. And as salt of the earth, you're created to flavor and enhance the community around you. You are the minerals and the salt. But to be that flavor, to bring out that goodness, we have to get out of our chairs, get out of our homes, and be present and working with and for others. We can't be the flavoring salt if we're sitting still. We have to go out and interact, getting the salt in direct contact with the people who need it most. There's a whole lot of need in this world. So I'm challenging you to be that salt that brings out the goodness of each person, just as you know the lesson of the Breva crop. Sometimes we need the flavoring to help us move on, and it's, it's, um, it's more important when we're not really feeling like we're the Breva crop. So if you know someone that's hurting, someone who's grieving, someone who's struggling in their life, Remember the lesson of the salt and go out and offer flavoring. And the last lesson that I picked was about olives. There's lots of references, lots of references about olives and olive oil in the Bible. Noah sends out a dove when, they are, uh, when the rain has stopped. And what comes back is a dove with an olive branch. And, and forevermore from that oral history, we hear that the dove and the olive branch is a symbol of peace. After liberation from Egypt, the people used the olive oil to dip the manna in bread to help sustain them, the, 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 to dip the manna in the olive oil with seasoning. Olive oil is mixed with spices and used for anointing, an act that affirms that some, for them, affirmed that something was holy. Whether it was Aaron anointing, uh, Moses anointing Aaron and, and sharing that he is holy, or anointing the king, or anointing Jesus at his death, or anointing the tabernacle. All of that was olive oil with special flavorings or aromatic spices. All of that was anointing. And Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, literally surrounded by olive trees in the Mount of Olives. All references in the Bible. 
But what I want to share with you today is about the healing power and the healing nature of olive oil. The olive tree is sometimes referred to as a healing tree because there's so much nutrients that can come out of it. Every last bit of it, not just the olive itself, but from the tree, from the leaves, from the branches, all of it. It's used by us both internally and externally and has medicinal purposes that help improve the skin and digestion and general health. Again, from the olive and the oil and the leaves, everything. And it's also used as a salve, like an ointment. You know, if you think of the context, the contexture of um, like neosporin or something like that, it's a salve to heal the wounded for cuts and bruises. Listen to what Margaret Feinberg says. She says it very well. Even though olive oil isn't a magic potion, anointing people with this ointment is a practice rooted deep in scripture as an act of compassion, an expression of love, and an invitation to healing. And there's another parable that exemplifies this, the parable of the Good Samaritan. You may have overlooked this part, but when we talk about olive oil, I want to make sure you hear it. A man is beat up and left dead on the side of the road, and after two men who should know better pass him by without helping, he's finally helped by a Samaritan man. You know the story. The Samaritan is despised. The Samaritan is hated and shunned. They weren't people that should interact with the holiest of holy. But when the Samaritan came upon the man who was hurt, he stopped. He disinfects his wounds with wine. And in the scripture it says, and applies a healing salve and treats the wounds with olive oil. Olive oil and healing. Are you the man or woman or person who is applying the salve. Can you see how we might be the salve ourselves? This lesson from the olive, just as olive oil is used for healing, we are called to be a salve for the wounded in our community. We are the olive oil. I kind of ask, does it surprise you that so many of these lessons Surrounding food in the Bible has to do with sustaining life. They have something to do with bringing, lives, bringing life to its fullness for ourselves and for others. It's interesting that inherent in the food, inherent in each piece of food that we've talked about and all the others, it's not just that food is food. It's not just that food is. Food is, of course, sustenance. But food is also life-promoting for ourselves and for others. I want you to hear again the last part of Psalm 104. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the cattle and plants for people to use or to cultivate to bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the human heart, oil to make the face shine and bread to strengthen the human heart. Did you hear that? You do this for that. Did you hear that part? That these things are made 
It's not just that food is good. It is. It's that's good and it's to be consumed for a reason. And that reason is to do God's work in the world. You have potentially some table blessings that you have saying grace, saying blessings, saying a prayer at the table, giving thanks. <clears throat> you probably can run through it in your head now. When I think of that, I think of my dad's blessing. Whatever he says at the beginning for thanks, he ends it with the same thing. You may have heard this. Bless this food for our use and us to thy service. Amen. Bless this food to our use and us to thy service. We tweaked it a little bit in the Sweeney house. And at the end, whatever we say at the beginning after thanks, here's what we say. Use this food to nourish our bodies so that we may do your good work in the world. It's not just that the food is. It's why we have it and why we eat it. Food is sustenance, but it is also life-promoting. Use this food to nourish our bodies so that we may do your work in the world. And what work there is. You know it. You heard it in the video. You heard it in Scott's, Scott's children's sermon. Ten and a half percent of households in the United States, 13.5 million households were food insecure in 2019. 13.6 of households with children under the age of 18 are food insecure. And that number's only gone up during the pandemic. A staggering 28.7% of households with children headed by women are food insecure. Just over 19% of black households and almost 16% of Hispanic households food insecure. And Texas is one of 11 states in the United States where food insecurity is above the United States average. There's a lot of work to do. How on earth is food life-promoting when we say that 11% of households in the United States are food insecure, or 13.5% of Texas households? How is that life-promoting? I tell you how it gets to be life-promoting. It's you. It's you, Arapaho. Time and again, you've stepped up to ensure that those without food don't go hungry. Just this morning, seven people went to Austin Street, Austin Street Center downtown, which is a shelter for the homeless. And they took hundreds of sandwiches and fruit and hard-boiled eggs and snacks along with them. You did that, Arapaho. When the network of community ministries expressed an interest in expanding their mobile food pantry to Dobie, Dobie Pre-K, which is one of our partner organizations. We didn't have to think twice. We said, we've got it. Arapaho adopted that site. Twice a month during the school year, we unload boxes of food from the North Texas Food Pantry, and we distribute them to families whose household income doesn't cover three nutri nutritional meals a day. We expect to start that ministry up again in September. And I know you, Arapaho, here and wherever you are will be with us. And it's not just these organized things. Sometimes it comes up quickly and unexpectedly. Janie Griffiths was at Central Market a few weeks ago, and she found that the Central Market uh, Produce Department was throwing away up to 30 boxes, uh, large boxes, of uh, strawberries. 
simply because they, had, they, weren't, they weren't presentable for Central Market. They had a mold inside of them. Janie picked up the phone and called me and said, what can we do? We can't waste this food. So she brought it up here, and we sorted out the molded and kept the Breva crop. We kept the good of it. We sorted out the, those. And I knew of an organization that feeds the hungry on Monday mornings in Plano. So we boxed up seven or eight strawberries into uh, disposable packets and took it over to Doug, who served those to the hungry on Monday morning in Plano. We did that, and Janie learned that because that's who Arapaho is. That's who you are. And finally, our youth. They just had a mission week where they focused on, on uh, missions within the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And one of, those, one of those missions was Bonton Farms. I met Darren Babcock last year when he told me the story of Bonton Farms. It started at a little garden in the area of Bonton. It's definitely a low economic area. 48% of those individuals in the area live in poverty. And Bonton was originally a freedman's town. A freedman's town is where the African-Americans would gather in the Dallas-Fort Worth area as freed men and women. And they called them freedman town because they would pop up in different areas. There's nine of them historically in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. But it's, it grew from a garden to a farm, and it's more than just a farm in the Bonton area. They now have an extension out by Seagoville. They have farms and goats and chickens and vegetables. They provide housing stability for those who are in the program, a rent-to-own program, plus a new set of tiny houses right there on the property. They work, the work on the extension farm continues for individuals re-entering society and, and coming out of incarceration. They have career counseling and personal, life finan personal financial counseling. They have parenting classes that emphasize the importance of education, and yes, that, that includes food education. They're looking at a possible future charter school. Food is not just sustenance. It is life-promoting. I love what their motto is that you can find on the website. Invest in the soil, and it yields healthy plants. Investing in the soul yields healthy people. The youth learned about that and came back and, and understood some things. We've had some pictures here about uh, that you could see them weeding uh, at the farm, at the extension farm. You can see them uh, working with the goats and the chickens. And we met Lance one of the managers at the Bonton Extension. And I asked him to talk about his philosophy and the, the farm's philosophy about the chickens that they raise. And here's what he had to say. Uh, uh, most, most places you go, all of their, their chickens are, uh, they're, all of their life has been spent completely inside of a cage. And like this, exactly. But with our chickens, they're all 100% free range. And we let them out so that they can... Uh, exercise and you know socialize and sometimes it's it's we ask ourselves you know is it cost effective to take as good of care of these chickens as we do you know we give them the really expensive uh, non-gmo the, uh, the vegan friendly source of foods but with this being a christian ministry as it is you know it's and with us just stewarding our resources 
know, we, we have to ask ourselves, can we really afford not to treat these animals to the high standard that you know God has for all of creation? Uh, most most places you go, all of their, their chickens are with all of their life has been spent completely inside of a cage. He ended that by saying yes. that, can we really afford not to? He was talking about chickens. Can we afford not to treat them with respect and, and treat them as a creation of God? I say the same for the Breva crop that we have. Arapaho, this is who you are. One of our core areas of focus is that we engage in ministry with the poor. And so much of poverty is centered around this food insecurity. But you, Arapaho, you who identify as Arapaho community, whether you're here in Richardson or anywhere else, you find this call to love each other in unique ways. You, Arapaho, you know that each person has a place at this table. You know and affirm that each person each, each of God's children is part of that breva crop, that special crop, the best of the bunch, because you see each person as God sees them with dignity and with value. You, Arapaho, each one of you is the salt of the earth. Each one of you adds your own special seasoning, your own spiritual gift to bring flavor to the lives of those who struggle to put food on their table. And you, Arapaho, are the calming ointment, like the olive oil, for those who are wounded. It's you, Arapaho. It's you. You are the blessing to so many as you feed the hungry, and you care for the sick, and you visit the lonely, and you advocate for those on the margins. You, Arapaho, you're the hands of Christ, bringing sustenance to the needy, and transforming lives, nourishing God's children, not just with food, but with love. May it ever be so. Amen.